So as you can see there, we're starting 1 Peter chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And the next reading is from Colossians chapter 4, which can be found on page 1791 of your church Bibles. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors uh, here part-time, and it's great to be with you this morning as we kick off a four-week series uh, in mission. My job's taken me around to some of the different churches in the network, so we've been talking about this down at Woodcroft earlier in the year and uh, at uh, Kernelite Gardens uh, just recently. So it's a four-week series, and it kind of culminates with God's vision for the world on week four, and Mark Peter from Peterson from the Church Missionary Society is coming uh, to preach that sermon, which I heard last week at Kernlight Gardens. I thought it was one of the, the great sermons of the year, so uh, I'll try and muddle along in between time, and you can look forward to a strong finish uh, in this series. Well, as we begin today, I'd love you to come uh, on a bit of a journey with me to look at our great city of Adelaide. So I don't know if you're a visual person, uh, I'm sort of highly visual, so I can imagine this. Uh, some of you will, some not so much, but imagine kind of a drone shot flying over our city. So we'd start uh, down in the southern suburbs, uh, towards, uh, you know, over the, the beaches in the southern suburbs, sort of coming up over O'Halloran Hill. You can see the Southern Expressway kind of pouring into the now rather complex and epic Darlington Interchange. Then you see one of the great landmarks of the area, uh, you know, Trinity Church Tonsley, also known as TAFE, here. And then you kind of fly over the bridge up Goodwood Road past my house in Kernelite Gardens. Then we zip up over King William Road, Hyde Park. Just visualise that, you know, the drone shot, a few hundred metres up over the parklands at the south of our city. People standing aside the ovals on a Sunday morning watching their kids soccer through the city, the quiet city streets, Adelaide Oval deserted, the cathedral. Then, if you're anything like me, I can't visualise anything north of that because I've already always grown up in the south. I'm a southerner and the north is a complete mystery uh, to me. But I just wanted to get you into thinking uh, about our city because I'm more interested in thinking about Adelaide uh, with our spiritual eyes to see what's going on. How many of our 1.37 million citizens have a sure and certain hope in our Lord Jesus Christ? How many have repented from sin, 
bringing our record of debt to the cross of Christ, receiving a right standing with God, righteousness from Christ as a gift freely and lovingly given. How many of those 1.37 million people have a guaranteed by Jesus place in God's eternal family and a sure and certain hope in the new heavens and the new earth upon the coming return of Jesus? How many in our city have that? Well, you know, I have a bit of a background in finance and numbers and things like that, so I thought I'd do a bit of an exercise here uh, to kind of try and answer that question, roughly speaking. So let's start today with how many will be sitting in our city's churches this day, and we do have to exercise some level of discernment here, as unfortunately not all places with our church written above the door proclaim the gospel of Jesus, which is a great sadness. And depending on how tightly you kind of want to put a definition around that, you sort of say, well, you know, how many Catholics, how many Pente churches have the gospel at heart, how many Christians in Anglican churches that don't preach the gospel actually have Christians in them? And I reckon you'll land somewhere in the realms of 10 to 30,000. So let's take the most generous number, 30,000, that's 2.3% of our city. Now, post-COVID, around half the people who belong to churches won't be at church today, so maybe we could double that uh, to see how many have a spiritual pulse in our city, that'd be 4.6%. And for those of you who like to argue numbers, um, you might say, well, how about the saved person who's not uh, attending a church, Christians in nursing homes and so on? And maybe, just maybe, if we really pushed it, we could get that number up to 7% of people in our city who have a place in God's eternal family. But I think that number's a little generous. But even taking the most generous of numbers that still leaves 1.2 million people in our city that we just flew over at least half of with our drone a few minutes ago who have no hope beyond this life. For those 1.2 million people without Jesus, whatever they receive in this life is as good as it gets and it's about to get far worse than they imagine. Coming before a holy God with their record of sin upon their shoulders without Jesus shouldering that load for them. If you're here today or listening along online and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is what is at the heart of the Christian faith. With Jesus, without Jesus, sorry, this life is as good as it gets and it's about to get far worse, whereas with Jesus, no matter what's going on in this life, it's as bad as it will ever get and it's about to get far better. Your best days are always ahead of you with Jesus. So as we start this series on mission, if you're a Christian, I want you to start with those 1.2 million people in mind. And if you're one of those 1.2 million people, I hope you listen very carefully. Come and chat after the service. We're here to help. And as we said, we're starting our life series uh, this Thursday night. A great place, a free, relaxed, easy format with good food and hospitality to ask all the questions you like. This is why we plant new churches like this, to reach people like, like you. So it's really great to have you with us. As a church, we don't think... Uh, that we as a people uh, are anything special or have it all together, but we can introduce you to the most important person to ever walk this planet, 
who can give you the gift of eternal life through Jesus. So a question for us all then, what do you think is going on then in our city? What do you think God is doing this day amongst the 1.2 million people in our city that don't know him? I'd put it to you, he's doing what he's always done, he's proactively introducing himself to people not looking for him through his people, bearing the words of eternal life about Jesus. And wasn't it so encouraging to hear today uh, from uh, uh, some, some of our students, at evangelical students, both in the city and uh, here at Flinders, uh, a place close to our heart, about how God is doing that through his people. Wasn't that so encouraging uh, to hear of the encouragement our students had to see their fellow Christians praying for urgently uh, this good news of Jesus to go out on campus in a week of heightened evangelism. And so wonderfully put, we're always on mission together. This is just a week of heightened evangelism. This is what church and the Christian faith is all about. Again, great song uh, written by one of our regulars here at Tonsley as well. Up, we glorify God. In, we build each other up. Out, uh, we share the message uh, about Jesus. If you know, I think if our kids grow up learning that's what church is all about, uh, what a great start they're off to. One of the reasons I put together um, a five-week uh, reading guide, which would have been on the seats last week if you missed it, not too late uh, to pick it up, uh, to take you through the book of Acts through this series, is because Acts is a unique book in the Bible where we get to see God at work in a particular way. Acts uniquely lets us see God at work building his church from the ascension of Jesus to heaven, actively directing and building the church by his spirit. And we kind of get to do it with the director's commentary on. If you're old enough to remember DVDs where you could switch the uh, director's uh, commentary on, Acts is like that. We have all the explanatory notes on how God, the divine director of evangelism, builds his church through his son Jesus with the Spirit of God actively directing the work. Now, we don't get to switch the director's commentary on in our life today. I really wish we could. But God is at work in our city this day. And it's our job this morning and through this series to think, well, what part do we as believers have to play in the work that God is doing in our world today? An expansive topic, to be sure, but I'll focus in on just one really important part uh, today, and we'll see where we get to over the four weeks. You see an outline of where we're going, and a short summary is uh, speak to God about people and speak to people about God. Point one, Colossians 4 2 to 4. Speak to people about God. Read with me from verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul is encouraging us very strongly to be devoted in our prayer life, being watchful. Be, which means being kind of mindful of the times in which we live and always to be thankful to God's grace and mercy to us as the indispensable foundation for his next prayer request, verse 3, where he says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul is a gifted by God evangelist asking for prayer for himself and all those who join him in the task that God may open a door for the message, this great news about Jesus, or more literally, open a door for this word about Jesus. Because it's the word of God that changes people. 
It's the Word of God that needs to be proclaimed so that people can understand the great mystery that it is that God should come to earth and remain fully God while being fully man as Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Paul asked for prayer, verse 4, that I, being Paul, may proclaim it clearly as I should. So we're being encouraged here to pray that evangelists, when the door is open for the Word of God to be proclaimed, that they would speak it clearly as they ought. Now, not all of us are gifted in what I would call the kind of big E evangelist role, driving forward into new places, into the public square, proactively like the Apostle Paul, but we are all called to pray for those who are. Uh, One of my many nephews was baptised quite a few decades ago, uh, sorry, uh, quite a few decades ago now, and uh, it was evident as he was... A, I've got 24 nieces and nephews, by the way, so I'm not really narrowing it down uh, much in Adelaide. But uh, as he grew into a young teenager, it became clear that all who knew him, that he was a very gifted by God, passionate evangelist. He lost his father in some very difficult circumstances some 12 years ago. And among the many prayers that have been prayed for that family, many prayed that God would open a door for him to proclaim the gospel. And answer that, God did. He was given an opportunity, given the, you know, the you know, really life-altering challenges he was going to, to preach at the school assembly. Now, obviously, only a kind of Christian school would allow that, but like many Christian schools, probably the vast majority of students there weren't Christian. And a door was open for him to proclaim the gospel to about 800 school students and he proclaimed it clearly as he should. Now, of course, you would never wish for the circumstances that open that door, but how else can you respond but to praise God that in opening a door for the gospel to be heard, that he proclaimed it faithfully as he should. He then invited the whole school to come to a Bible study he was starting up and the group kicked off that following week with about 40 students. Praise God for answering prayer and for opening a door for the Word and the Gospel to be proclaimed faithfully. Now, some of you know me quite well. Some of you are wondering who the guy is standing up the front who hasn't been here for a couple of months. Um, If we don't know each other, like most people, there's a few things, by God's grace, I do well as a pastor. Uh, There's plenty of parts I'm not good at, a few I get by at, but uh, I'm grateful to be part of a a wider team. Uh, Yet for me... I think, give me a crowd of unbelievers at a funeral or a wedding or at a carol service. I ask lots of people to pray and despite all my nerves and self-doubts, I trust Jesus and with people praying that God would open a door in people's hearts for the gospel and joy among joys, he uses me of all people to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to unbelievers quite well. But as always, for it to be effective, it doesn't really matter what I do, God has to be at work, as we can do nothing in our own strength. So we want all of our evangelists, so we want all of our church praying that our evangelists would proclaim the gospel faithfully and that God would continue to open doors. 
Uh, we just finished a series at Kernelite Gardens, and as we were doing it, we were running our youth life series and our youth, which was shared between Tonsley and Kernelite Gardens. And life, as you've already heard today, is our series where we help people explore Jesus for the first time or think through church and Jesus uh, for the first time in a while. It's the adult version of that, which starts this Thursday night. But for the youth, I thought, there's so many challenges going on in the world, and I really wanted to give it my absolute best to kind of work through all new material in packaging the gospel to hopefully make a real impact both on our Christian youth as they think about their identity and taking on for themselves what it means to follow Jesus and for them to invite their friends along as well. And we're wonderfully encouraging, actually, to see our youth kind of rock up in good numbers. Lots of people invite their friends along, as um, is often the case in evangelism. You know, half turned up and they were really encouraged. Other half uh, didn't turn up and they were a little discouraged. But that's normal for gospel ministry. And the questions they asked and the feedback and the messages I got through the week from our youth, I was just so encouraged by their gospel heart and the way that God was working together as we explained uh, the gospel. It was super encouraging. You kind of put our youth together like that, our university students like we heard through just before, and really for all of us to kind of keep fanning the flames of, of mission together. There's much that I actually stand here before you today really encouraged by. This is the first order of business in this selection of Colossians from Paul concerning the ministry of all believers in promoting the gospel. He commends it to us all to open our mouths in prayer for all involved in direct public evangelism. I was so thankful for the prayers of Kenlight Gardens as we did Youth Life together. But it also struck me as I prepared this series that I actually used to pray a lot for God to bring more people with the gift of evangelism into our church. Uh, I've been uh, at Kernelite Gardens now uh, for 11 years and I just, it just really struck me. I thought, how did it fall off my radar to stop praying for that? Because when I did, God answered that prayer so wonderfully. When I put this um, series together, I was preaching it at Kernelite Gardens like I've just finished. I was quite open with them that missionally speaking, after 11 years, that um, you know, we're probably at a bit of a lower ebb uh, on our mission heat. So I asked our community to pray that God would give us more big E evangelists in light of the spiritual need for our city and the 1.2 million people who desperately need Jesus for life, truth, salvation and eternity. Will you pray with us that God will give not only Kernelite Gardens but us here at Tonsley more big E evangelists as a church? That might be a new person today here for the first time, they may arrive next week or as I suspect there might actually be many here needing prayer or perhaps needing God to fan that sort of passion, that gift into flame. That by the Spirit of God, our divine director of evangelism is uh, using his evangelists to break new ground in the workplace, in the schools, in our universities, uh, over a pint in a random conversation at the checkout at Woolies at the school gate been really encouraged as I've heard via Cam uh, of all the things that the mission team uh, has uh, been uh, thinking through and the prayer for five cards and a whole range of things. 
So keep going, Tonsley. It's great to have that sort of passion for mission, uh, sort of 18 months into a new church plant. Pray that you would sort of keep it going. It'll actually keep building and not wane over time. And a big part of that is God providing some great evangelists uh, in our church. So point one, speak to God about people, pray for our evangelists and for God to raise up and bring in way more. But for the rest of us who sort of might not claim that label, our hearts can protest a little at this point. For those without the gift of evangelism, surely they're not to remain silent. And verses five and six six give us the apt reply. Point two, if you're taking notes, Colossians four, verses five and six, speak to people about God. Let's read those two verses together. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the NIV in translating this has left out a couple of words like it often does to make it easy to read. The last part of verse 6 actually reads, so that you may know how you ought. It drops out the you ought. (laughs) to answer everyone. So you may know how you ought, speaking to the whole church at that point, to answer everyone. So if you can see the logic then, Paul first asked for prayer for himself and evangelists that doors would be opened and they may proclaim the message clearly as they ought, same word used, and then he turns to give advice to all Christians on how they ought to answer everyone. Evangelists do direct evangelism, seeking to break new ground, All Christians, however, are called to what we have uh, sometimes termed responsive evangelism. They are to speak to people about God when the opportunity arises. Now, please don't misunderstand me at this point. This doesn't mean we stay silent about Jesus for months or years until someone pops up and says, tell me about Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not sounding the retreat here, because look again at verse 5. We're told, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity in speaking of wisdom here Paul isn't saying be shrewd in your action interactions with unbelievers because biblical wisdom is really about living in the light of what God has revealed to us living wisely is living how God would have us live Another way to put it would be to say, live lives worthy of the gospel. And Paul, at one of his favourite turns of phrases, he's already said that in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, as he prays for the Colossians that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So rather than suggesting those without the gift of evangelism speak less about the good news of Jesus... He evidently assumes that if you're living a life worthy of the gospel, opportunities, if God's wisdom is guiding you how to live, uh, will be found everywhere. Make the most of every opportunity, he says, verse 5. Now, I think at this point it's worth acknowledging that we live in a cultural moment where Christians are finding it increasingly hard to identify as Christians in the workplace, in the wider community, which is why I took so much encouragement from our university students this morning. Because there has been a shift, and it's been accelerating over the past 10 years, where, you know, Christians kind of last century, it sounds so long ago now, were generally seen as the good guys in society, maybe thought of as a little prudish, taking religion a bit too seriously, but the good guys that, at the very least, could be ignored by many. 
Now, however, we're increasingly being seen as the bad guys due to our biblical convictions on things like sexuality, gender and the like. We're increasingly seen as the enemies of good that need to be wiped off the face of the planet for society to progress. Uh, One of the uh, books I recommended in the back of uh, your booklets, if uh, you had them in front of you, on page 27, the big one in the middle, you can always tell when I place things which one I think is the most important one to read, the big red one in the middle is called Being the Bad Guys. It's by a guy called Steve McAlpine at one best Christian book in 2021 for good reason. Uh, we will have a bookstore here next week. We really have an opportunity uh, to buy that. It was a little delayed, so uh, Kernlight Gardens is uh, having the bookstore this morning. It'll be here next week and for a few weeks. But between now and then, let me just read you uh, one of the little quotes that really stood out to me on this kind of the, the issue of the challenge of how society is moving at the moment and give you a bit of a foreshadowing of uh, how the book uh, sees that we're uh, to live in the light of this. So I'll pop it up on screen there, and I've also printed it in your leaflets uh, today as well. So here's a bit of Steve McAlpine Gold, where he says, on the point we've just been talking about, and the way we live must be shocking in the way that it is also compelling. It must raise questions for those looking on, questions such as, if their way of thinking about sexuality or individual expression is so wrong, how come their lives look so good? Or if they're supposedly given over to hate speech, how come they love and serve their enemies? Or why is their speech so measured when they are scorned on social media? Or, most perturbingly to a culture that views personal sexual freedom as our primary identity marker, why are their marriages strong, their single people chaste, and their same-sex attracted people so fulfilled by non-sexual relationships. There's a lot more behind that quote in the book. It's a great one and clearly there's an aspect there in which is aspirational and we, you know, uh, we fall short of that as a church but it's a great picture that Steve is encouraging us to to be faithful to the gospel in a society that increasingly there's hostility uh, against it. That's why if you're going to read one book in this series uh, I reckon it would be a great one. But really what Steve is saying there is just an outworking of what we saw uh, when I was last with you in our four weeks in 2 Peter earlier this year. That kind of idea of making every effort to live holy and godly lives, it's not only God-honouring, the right thing to do, good for us as well, it's missional also. To live our lives for God as a lived-out case study for our world pointing to the goodness of living God's way and taking the many opportunities God provides us as we do so to speak to people about our God. So speak to God about people and our evangelists, that was point one. And point two, speak to people about God as the opportunity arises. Now, most of you will be saying, yeah, it sounds good, Matt, but you just don't get how hard it is. It's not uh, that easy. And sometimes we don't know where to start. Now, I totally get that and find it hard myself at points, and it's a big topic worthy of deeper reflection and helpful guidance, which is why this September we've got two Wednesday nights coming, the 13th and the 27th, where we have the team from Engage Work Faith coming to give us some very practical help 
on speaking to people about God and just sort of bringing out conversations as a natural part of our life. And an Engage Work Faith team know as well as anyone the challenges that we all face uh, in that area. The dates are in your leaflet. There's more details online. Uh, we just found out that uh, the Colonel Light Gardens RSL is double booked on the first of those nights, so we'll find an alternate location. We're hoping to be at the Marion RSL. But we'd actually love uh, growth groups not to meet uh, in those weeks. We've been speaking to your growth group leaders about it and for as many people as possible to come together for both of those nights. It's not the same night repeated. It's two different nights uh, with two different kind of progressive thoughts. We would love to see you there. But two more brief points uh, to this morning. And the first, if you're taking notes, is you'll see there the manner of our reply. And the second is the motivation of our reply, just briefly. In verse 6 of our Colossians reading, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I don't think uh, that grace and seasoning with salt in our conversation are two different things. Paul is simply saying that our conversations should be seasoned with graciousness. It's a simple point, and you'll notice if your conversations lack the grace and generosity of our God, and you get wound up about the moral decline of society and the whole world going to pot, you'll very quickly get yourself into a losing battle, fielding questions and accusations that all Christians are hypocrites, but if your speech overflows with the generosity of God's grace towards us, you'll be on solid ground to answer people's questions. Peter 2 has a word for us on the manner of our reply from 1 Peter 3.15. We read, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In this verse, a different word here is used, and, uh, Paul's, uh, uh, and Paul's words and Peter's were both translated answer. Peter's picking up on the idea of defending the faith rather than the more conversational approach uh, that Paul refers to. Uh, people, even friends, can be quite insulting uh, of the Christian faith, and we can often be called to defend it at a moment's notice. What we're being encouraged here is to do that with gentleness and respect even when emotionally we feel like doing just the opposite. Being prepared to give a reason for our faith assumes rightly that we are on solid intellectual ground to have reasons for believing. We don't all have to be great debaters, but being equipped in some of the basics for defending the gospel is beneficial for us all. Engage Work Faith will help us do that. And as the book still comes next week, I'm not saying you all have to read sort of five books, but wouldn't it be great if a few people read a book and we were sharing those things together in our growth groups, in our life, as we're talking about our week. Uh, so do come prepared for the book stall next week. Uh, again, if uh, you didn't get a booklet uh, last week, uh, you'll see there uh, towards the back uh, five book recommendations that I've made. As we sort of think about this, and we've covered a fair bit of ground briefly this morning, we have to keep linking the need with God's vision and our response. If we sort of assume the need and don't ever talk about that, it's very easy to kind of get sort of God's vision for his church and his world sort of somewhat disconnected. That's why I've started it today and encouraged you to think and I'd love you to have on your heart for this whole series, those 1.2 million people in our city 
that desperately need Jesus before Mark comes in the final one to lift our kind of sights to the whole world. And my last point on this is the motivation of our reply. Because Peter says in verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, as we're sort of doing this, set apart Christ as Lord. And I wanted to close with this encouragement and I assume many of you will know the feeling well when you're the only Christian in a room and the opportunity comes to share something of your love for Jesus. Whether it's a comfortable conversation with friends and an opportunity comes for an apt or gracious reply, or whether the name of Jesus is under attack and you're called to defend the gospel. But in your heart, if you're anything like me, you can kind of realise that that moment's come and feel a little timid and a little overwhelmed. If you're a Christian, you'll know that Jesus is not only the Lord of your life, but Lord of all creation. So whether you're in the warehouse at work, or in the bar having a beer with mates after a round of golf, or in a coffee shop with friends, we're being encouraged here when those moments come to just remind ourselves and set apart Jesus as Lord. It is him we're seeking to please. It is him we're seeking to honour. And whatever room you're in, my little short way of doing this, because, you know, there's only seconds to think of your responses, to say to myself, Jesus owns this room. If you could just kind of peel back the curtain for a moment between heaven and earth, you would see Jesus sitting on his throne in all of his glory, with all authority and with all power. And you won't feel so timid anymore. That, brothers and sisters in Christ, that, brothers and sisters, is our reality. So when you're feeling timid, whether it's on university campus, the workplace, wherever it might be, do what I do in those moments and say to yourself, Jesus owns this room. And with humble reliance on the Spirit of God, who is the divine director of evangelism, speak with gentleness and respect. Speak with words seasoned with graciousness. Speak. Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who longs for the world to know you, that despite the fall and our sin, before the beginning of time, you set in place this great rescue plan that comes together in our Lord Jesus Christ as he came and gave us a preview of what life restored with you might be like as he raised the dead and healed the sick and brought people back together with you and with each other but also as he taught and ultimately as he headed, the cross, headed to the cross to pay the penalty of sins for all who would come to him so that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate each year that not only did he die on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. And that as the book of Acts kicks off, Jesus has ascended in all of his glory with you again in heaven and sends your spirit to us to proactively help us, your church here on earth, uh, be provided with the opportunities and the gifts and the courage to hold out uh, this great news about Jesus to a world who desperately needs it. Please, over these four weeks and indeed on the rest of our lives, keep enlarging our heart uh, for all those in our city and our world who don't know you. Uh, please help us uh, to be more fervent in prayer for our evangelists to break new ground. 
please help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel uh, in a challenging age that we hope and pray actually provide more opportunities to speak graciously about what you have done for us and the great news that you offer all people everywhere about your son in his life, death and resurrection. Please continue to uh, build and fan into flame our passion for the gospel and sharing it. Please be with our mission team. Uh, please be with uh, evangelical students on campus, both uh, in Adelaide and here at Flinders. And we pray for uh, all those uh, who serve them. And we pray for each member of our church, Lord, that you might grow us over this series to have hearts for what, uh, have hearts that long after what you long for, uh, that people might be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus. And it's in his precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.